Hello and welcome to the Movie Robcast with me, your host, Rob Daniel. And as always, I am very happy to say that I am joined by my resplendent partner in pod, my tutor, Rob Wallace. And as always, it's very, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. That's rather taking me aback. <laughs> Thought it might have done. And for anyone who hasn't actually seen the Borat film yet, they'll say, what's, what's a tutor? All will be revealed. Upsettingly revealed. Yes. <laughs> it will say so much about our relationship or the way that I view our relationship. But uh, yes, so as you may have guessed, and as you will have read on the episode title anyway. Today we are talking about Sasha Baron Cohen's sequel to Borat, Borat Subsequent Movie Film. Its full title being Borat Subsequent Movie Film, Delivery of Prodigious Bribe to America Regime for Make Benefit Once Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. There, lost it a bit at the end, but... And I think that's actually in there at some point because they keep changing the title as the plan has to change for what they're going to bribe the American official with. So this is the Borat movie that was filmed in secret. So some of it was filmed before the pandemic and some of it, quite amazingly, is filmed after the pandemic. It was announced in September, I think, there was going to be a Borat movie and it has gone to Amazon Prime. One, because all the cinemas are closed and also I think that Sasha Baron Cohen wants a lot of people to see this, particularly in the US, because he, I think, hopes it will be some kind of tool to sway voters into voting against Trump. This is a film that continues the series that he did a couple of years ago called Who is America, which was a continuation of Borat, where he basically goes around in disguise and talks to many different groups of Americans and uncovers their prejudices. Yeah, it's quite amazing sometimes what is captured on camera. So the story is that Following the events of the first film, Kazakhstan has had great shame brought onto it and has become the laughingstock of the world because of Borat. So he's doing hard labour. He is brought out of prison and is sent on a mission to go back to America because the Kazakhstan 
Premier is very annoyed that he is very authoritarian, but Trump is not cozying up to him the same way that Trump cozies up to Putin and to Kim Jong-un and what's his name? Erdogan. So Borat has to go with a bribe and the bribe changes from one thing to another and ultimately becomes his daughter, Tuta. And from there, they get into many different scrapes as they travel across America. Is that pretty? Yeah, it sounds... A pretty thorough account of what goes on. I mean, the, of course, the amazing thing being that they basically just did this in terms of yes. you know, all, all of their interactions with, well, most of interactions with people are genuine insofar as they happened and the other person was unaware, presumably, that they were interacting with. Yeah, there's a lot of that because a lot of people have said, oh, it's not as good this time because you can see that everyone's in on the joke. And I didn't think that was true. I thought it was, there's a very good sequence where lots of people recognise Borat. So he says, oh, I need to go in disguise now. So he becomes a master of disguise. And there are some scenes where you can see that some stuff has been shot or some stuff has been staged. But that's no different from the first Borat film. That had its fair share of that in there as well. But there are some moments which are clearly haven't been staged that the people involved are not aware of what's going on and yeah. think this is real. A couple of scenes I can think of just off the top of my head where it's like, if you know what's going on, then then, then you're making very odd decisions. Well, you're making very odd decisions, inadvisable decisions anyway. But... If you know what's going on, then you must be wealthy as well, because you are risking, you would think, you're standing in the community and your livelihood by saying these things sometimes. I mean, there's, um, not to spoil all of the film, but there's a scene where he asks for a cake and asks for a certain message to be put onto this cake. And yeah, it's a really offensive thing that he asked to be put on this cake. And the woman does it without batting an eyelid. And it's like, wow, okay. So you have yeah. no comment on thank what god, you've been asked just to do thank god it's not a cake that's, for a gay wedding that's all i've got to say yes indeed and there's, there's a scene in the trailer that's in the film where they go to well i thought it was an abortion clinic but it turns out to be some kind of religious center and he asked this doctor who's a pastor to give his daughter an abortion and the things that this guy was coming out with even when he says yes i put the baby inside her now I want it to be taken out of her. The belief system that this pastor has on why that can't happen is, I found, quite jaw-dropping. Yeah, basically, as with Bora, and I guess a lot of um, Sasha Burns' characters, it just gives people a chance to voice the extremist version of opinions that they hold. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where because he is such a disarming character. It's really funny. I was thinking, this has to be played by someone who looks like Sasha Baron Cohen. He has to be this lanky and this kind of seemingly a simpleton for him to ask these questions in a way that allows them to say whatever they think without any fear of reprisal or criticism or anything like that. Um, and even the presence of a camera doesn't seem to stop them. You have to admit, I really did enjoy this film and I wasn't sure that I was going to, although I do like all of his stuff, really. Yeah, I like the Ali G movie, which I think is has a lot going for it. And I also like Grimsby as well, which I know that a lot of people hate it, but I chuckled my way through that. And Who is America and Bruno, I thought were very I'm good not films. The, so. I'd say, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of Session Baron Cohen, not because I don't appreciate in principle what it is he's doing. I'm just very bad at dealing with any aspect of cringe comedy. That like, yeah, just, that's... yeah, there's a part of it that just makes me yeah, it, it's just the thought of, oh no, why would anybody say that or think that? And why are they saying it to him now? And I'm not so bad with those moments. I'm There's a moment when they go to a standing talon 
um, a standing talon, a tanning salon even. And he asked what would be the correct shade of tan for a racist family. And the woman chooses a colour. It's like, it would be around here, I think. It's like, wow, you don't seem to need to give that a lot of thought. See, that sort of stuff, I think, actually, I'm all right with that. It's more the things when they're in like a wider group of people, like at the debutante ball, which I um, I shan't spoil, but that bit of the debutante ball had such an impact on me that I had a dream about it, that I was telling someone about it in my dream. Because it was so outrageous what was happening, and it made me laugh so much. So, despite sort of you know all the very the outrageous and the slightly gross out elements of it, there are some parts of this film that are actually quite sweet. That's the reason why I think it worked for me because the relationship that Borat has with Tutor, his non-male son. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole subplot about this manual that he has for raising a daughter. And of course, it's absolutely outrageous and sexist and rooted in like your medieval thought. And the developing relationship between him and his daughter, I thought actually was genuinely a nice bit of character development. I was quite into their story. And Maria Bakalova. See, I didn't know who she was when it started. I didn't know her name either. So I just assumed that she was American. But she's a Bulgarian actress who just sent in a tape to an open call and is this amazing talent they found who just has this wonderful gift for improv and yeah, what a fine she is and she's 24 years old as well and um that scene at the end was oh dear so anyway what did you, you think of her yeah and I, I thought i thought she's she's you know Sasha baron cohen is i think you can make the argument he's the, the uncontroversial argument i guess if we say anything uncontroversial on the pod that he's a, he's a comedy genius and the fact that she manages to match him in terms of improv in scenes where you don't get a chance to go back and do it again Yeah, that's what I thought as well. It was, I was watching an interview with them and she said that the audition process was actually a live scene that they were filming, presumably so that he could put her into like a pressure situation and see how she would respond. So her audition, I think, was the scene when they go to the dress shop. (laughs) That was her audition for the film. And it's like, wow, okay. So one, that made it into the film. And two, yeah, as you said, she can really match improv skills with this guy who's been doing it for over 20 years. I mean, he's been doing it almost as long as she's been alive. But even the scenes that were scripted between them, I thought were really funny as well. And when she's in her cage and things like that. Again, the kind of like outrageous grotesquerie that he does really well sometimes. Just, yeah, there's a lot of it that hit in this movie. This, yeah, this is coming from somebody who was saying previously, was never a, I mean, it was what, the original Borat was 2006? Yes, that's right. Which, no, I was a 16-year-old boy, so you'd assumed that that would have been, like, right in my ballpark, but it kind of just passed me by. That's interesting, that, because it was one of those, because I was working at Sky at that point, and it was, um, one, I couldn't get into the press screening of it because it was such a limited ticket. So I actually went with a friend to just a regular cinema showing of it. And in a way, I'm glad I did because it was busy. It wasn't packed, but it was busy. I think it was a, it was a Thursday night, but you'd have thought it was packed by the amount of laughter in there. And... Yes, and it is a cliche to say, oh, it would be better to have seen it with an audience. But there are moments in the Borat sequel that I think would have caused as much laughter as in the first Borat film. And the first Borat film has that naked wrestling scene when they then run into that function that's being given in that big swanky hotel. That had so much laughter in it that people couldn't stop laughing for scenes afterwards. (laughs) I thought, I can't hear what they're saying because everyone's laughing still. And sometimes myself included, because that was so absolutely hilarious. 
And you've got to have... It's interesting, though, yeah, that you weren't into the idea of seeing it when it first came out. Maybe it did appeal to, I don't know, late 20s into 30s, more than teens. Yeah, yeah so I just, I just find big parts of the premise innately cringy but and I, and, but once I kind of get over that and I'm able to sort of embrace it as sort of look at this look at it and say this is comedy and the people that it's happening to based on the opinions that they're expressing aren't great people they might be lovely parents but in this particular moment they're not acquitting themselves very well as human beings well, that's a nice bit of tension that runs in the film. You get the impression sometimes that these are people who actually might be okay to talk to and you might actually have an entire conversation and not realise that they are able to come out with some quite horrible things. And again, I was watching an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen where he was talking about the two QAnon conspiracy theorists who he stays with, and he stayed with them for five days in character as Bora. Well, that's the thing, like, how do you end up in that situation? Because you've got to assume that somehow none of them have ever heard of Borat. And like, under what situation, like under what premise was he staying with them again? I can't remember the one in the film, but because presumably what happens if one of them just goes into Google while he's staying there and types Borat? I know. I was thinking that because the premise in the film is obviously staged and uh, he has been, I just want to spoil it, but he finds himself alone. And of course, the streets are completely deserted because there's a lockdown happening. Then he bumps into one of them and says, well, can I come and live with you? And then he goes and stays with them for a few days. And you think and there is a lot of things that had to be arranged here for this to happen. They would have known that he was going to come and stay with them and there would be a film crew. What you're thinking is, well, they probably thought they were signing up for a, um, someone's coming over from Europe, they're making a show, they want to just hang out with some ordinary Americans to see how ordinary Americans live or something like that. That's probably the story <laughs> they were given. How many times can you do that? <laughs> I know, that's the thing. Because he was saying, Sasha Baron Cohen was saying, actually those guys, I mean... You know, they're QAnon conspiracy theorists. They seem to be saying some things that are a bit horrible. And I can't remember if they say anything anti-Semitic, but they seem to be believing all the bullshit, which is, of course, rooted in anti-Semitism, that QAnon believers will spout. But he says that, to be completely honest, they were pretty good people. But there's a sickness right now in the States, um, encouraged by Trump, that is misinformation. And it is conspiracy theories. And it is believing in this nonsense so you can't see what these guys over here are doing which is basically strip mining the country i've just i've just looked it up on imdb this film as i reckoned it might has in various forms 27 producers and they all earned their money on that one yes they proper producers not executive producers. Uh, i mean i think one or two are executive producers but most are sort of producers co-producers line producers you know right yeah because they're the people that will yeah ensure that things are set up so they can move from one place to another and not have the movie spoil. Yes, they did earn their money, as did, I have to say, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, I mean, he puts himself into some quite risky situations in this. I mean, that bit when they go to that music festival and it's an open carry town, in an open carry state, so there are a lot of people there with automatic weapons. Yeah, I just think America now is in such a weird crisis that this is the perfect film to show it. It's like, you have to do something like this to just show how ludicrous it is. And also the fact that all this is being believed by people. It's like, well, yeah, I think that their bullshit detectors are all just broken. And that's why they've got that guy in the White House. And uh, yeah. But who, uh, who is it's called, uh, I think today is called Sasha Baron Cohen a creep. 
Yes, he said he was a creep and um, not the guy tucking in his shirt with a well, he who he thinks is a very young woman. It's no, it's it's Sasha Baron Cohen who is the creep. Yeah, so Rudy Giuliani, when everyone I'm sure has heard this, Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, does an interview that I mean, even before it gets into the bedroom, that's the stuff that I found really hard to watch because it's like this is so predatory. Yeah, and uncomfortable. It's like he is just his smile is vampiric and horrible and he's such a a slimy turd and just being in his presence you think oh my god you would just have to take a shower as soon as you walked out because he's such a slime bag but again it was it was a great scene i mean it completely showed him for who he is america's mayor america's mayor that's right yes as bill maher said a guy who has made his entire legacy and his entire career based on the fact that he was in town that day when the planes went into the towers It's weird, isn't it? He went to Ground Zero on the day, which was a dangerous thing to do. I mean, it was. And George Bush was just nowhere to be seen. So that's what he did. But God, he has traded off the back of that. And I think has spent all that capital in what he's doing now with Trump. Yeah, but um, Sasha Baron Cohen had to wear a bulletproof vest a few times for this. Of course, he was wandering around during the pandemic, as was Maria Bakalova as well. So it's, I mean, yeah, they definitely earned their money for this. I'm sure it was quite an interesting movie to make. But yeah, it is one of those where I thought, is the Giuliani thing going to be enough of a climax of this movie? But then when it happened, it was like, oh, yes, this is the appropriate note to end your movie on. But what did you think? Yeah, I think it's because he is such a recognisable figure and it is just so incredibly creepy. And the fact that, you know, they've been speaking for the whole film, you know, we need to go to, we need to get to Mike Pence, you know, He's such, such a pussy hound, he can't be left alone in a room with a woman. <laughs> the vice pussy grabber, as, he's, as he calls him. Yeah, I, I found it really effective. <laughs> I, know, I know that this is kind of like, you know, preaching to the choir on this one. But Rudy Giuliani played himself on this one. But you know what, the one thing, yeah, and I completely agree with that. But the one thing that completely baffles me is that... How did they get to him? Oh, I think that's easy. I think that's that's the easy thing. All you need to do is say that you are a um, TV company. I mean, she says in the interview, I'm such a big fan of yours. I'm sure they use some of that as well. I'm sure they just blew a lot of smoke up his ass, and uh, it seemed yeah, like such a softball interview that he was going to get. Have, but... like a publicist who would have done like the slightest bit of due diligence. Well, you think not because I mean, he, all the stuff he's done. I mean, he goes on to the news and comes out with the worst things. I mean, it's, I don't think these people really pay any attention. I think they're all just blinded by the fact that someone wants to put them on to telly and that there's this crew coming from another country to film and all that kind of stuff. I think that just feeds their ego to the point where they don't ask any Mo- questions. Moving on, I think um, all Republicans are basically just going to assume that any foreign journalist might be such a Baron Cohen. Or You think that, but then as you said... They'll still keep doing it. It's like, how can you keep doing this? How is How are people not spotting what this is? But Sarah Palin threatened to sue if if her sequence was included in Who is America, the series that he made, because she was pranked. And she threatened to sue enough that they actually had to pull it in the end. Their legal team said, you're not covered on this one. So they pulled it, which is why she kept getting a special thanks in the end credits, because it gave the series so much publicity. I think it was also one of those things where they that they had to move it back to the next episode because they were fighting it right until the final episode to see if they could put the segment in, which ultimately they couldn't. So here I'm thinking, well, how could you put the Giuliani stuff in then? Couldn't he have just done the same thing? But presumably not. Presumably they were covered on that because there it is in the film. 
Would you have anything else to say about Borat's subsequent movie film? Uh, only that, again, I guess between this and Trial of the Chicago 7, Sasha Baron Cohen's having a rather good month. Yes, absolutely. So I've not seen The Trial of the Chicago 7, but you have. Would you like to tell us about it? Um, I'll just I'll just kind of touch on it briefly. It's Aaron Sorkin's dramatisation of, as, you know, as it says on the tin, The Trial of the Chicago 7, who, and I'm just going to read the Wikipedia bump here, a group of anti-Vietnam War protesters who were charged with conspiracy and crossing state lines with the intent of inciting riots in the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And essentially, it's a, it's a big courtroom drama with a really impressive ensemble cast, including Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman, one of the leaders of the Yippies. And who were they? Uh, the Yippies, aka the, the Youth International Party, are essentially an organisation back in the 60s who kind of ran on fairly anarchist absurdist principles you know one they were they were the group who turned up and tried and said they were going to levitate the pentagon and perform an exorcism to expel all the evil from it (laughs) and actually the the film does the film does some really interesting things contrasting them with the uh, sds which is the students for democratic society um with who are played by tom hayden played by eddie redmayne and uh, Rennie Davis, played by Alex Sharp, and sort of the, the contrasting ideologies with Sasha Baron Cohen's um, Hoffman and uh, Jeremy Strong's Jerry Rubin, and their sort of absurdist, antagonistic approach, you know, in the courtroom versus the SDS who want to be taken seriously and don't want the sort of clownish behaviour to define what people think of as being like the democratic protest movement. The cast is incredible. You've got Yaya Abdul Mateen II, who uh, you know from Watchmen, as Bobby Seale. Mark Rylance as William Kunstler, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it is—it's very Sorkin. It's everybody is incredibly well spoken. Nobody puts a foot wrong linguistically, and I was—I was worried that it was going to annoy me. I was worried—I was going to worry that having seen Mangrove during LFF, which is a, a very different treatment of a case with which there are parallels, a case in the UK, I was worried that Sorkin's again sort of hyper-articulate, slightly pleased with itself walking fast walking fast talking was going to great but actually it's really entertaining because that to be honest is my fear because shock horror i'm not a huge fan of aaron sorkin i find his stuff i can recognize that it's made by someone who is talented and is liberal but it always just seems very very self-satisfied that was one of my big things with um i watched all of the newsroom I watch this kind of light entertainment because essentially the newsroom is just how Aaron Sorkin would have done the news better yeah. with the benefit of hindsight. I only watched a couple of episodes of the newsroom because to be completely honest, I gave up on the West Wing a few episodes into season two because having said he's liberal, the West Wing just seemed like the perfect show for Tony Blair to watch because what it was was actually a very, very conservative show. But he does enough hand-wringing to show that he's really thought about it and then he has to like you know, begrudgingly make these decisions. And I thought, this is actually quite a disingenuous show, I think. There's never really... I mean, I did like The Social Network. I thought his script for that was very good. But I've never really been on the Sorkin bus. And I mean, even again, I like all of his shows and I've watched all of his shows, <laughs> but it's a bit of a sword. It's a bit of a sore tooth because like, you know, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, again, great cast, very much the Sorkin thing, except it's basically doing behind the scenes at SNL. And the thing is, Sorkin can't write sketch comedy. Yeah, that is like a perfect Sorkin for me. That is because it's like, I'm sorry, this immediately fails because it's not funny. You are trying to do the West Wing behind the scenes for SNL but none of this is funny. It's all incredibly self-satisfied. It ran, I think, for 17 episodes and, and that was it. Never got beyond that after being hailed as this amazing new show that it done and then it came out and everyone 
just rejected it because, of course, the proper way to do that is 30 Rock. 30 Rock is so much a superior example of what Studio 60 was trying to do because it's funny and you can't just have this self-satisfied humorlessness. Anyway. I also saw On the Rocks between Amazon, Netflix and uh, Apple TV+. Plus. It's been a bit of a streaming service bonanza the past few weeks. But it's sad, though, because you were in the before time. You were someone who got a lot of usage out of your Cineworld card. And these are all films you would have gone to see at the cinema in the past week. So this is where we are now that you have been getting usage out of your streaming services. I've let my Cineworld membership lapse. So, uh, yeah, that's where we are right now. But, yeah, On the Rocks, essentially, it's... Just a really nice showcase for Rashida Jones and Bill Murray. Bill Murray just continues to, you know, the cliche, age like wine. Hmm. But he's just got this absolutely perfect, bone-dry, sardonic, what-me kind of expression of, I'd love to see him share the screen with Bill Nye. Yes, that'd be good, wouldn't it? I don't know, half-brothers, one's American, one's British. That's such and, a good idea. Yeah, and just see who can be drier. you would leave the cinema i was going to say or you would turn off the streaming service parched but satisfied it's fine (laughs) so what is the story for on the rocks is it that it's a daughter reconciling with her father i mean it's is it essentially uh the daughter who's played by richard jones comes to suspect just by a couple of different things that her husband who's played by uh, marlon wayans might be having an affair Right, And she turns to her philandering dad for advice, (laughs) uh, who's uh, Felix, played by Bill Murray. And basically he convinces her, you know, he kind of plays into her fears and says, you know, it's just biology, men are programmed to cheat. But essentially he almost uses it partly as a way to just spend some more time with her and, you know, kind of scoop her up in shenanigans. And there are sequences, you know, driving around in, I think it's a Maserati. (laughs) Uh, you know, cherry red Maserati speeding through New York City, you know, with uh, this this really triumphant jazzy score. And there are some scenes shot in Bemelman's Bar in the, you know, the Carlisle Hotel, the famous Bemelman's Bar, and everybody's drinking cocktails. And there's a scene, I think they make a martini and we're accompanied by the score in slow motion. And if it wasn't so like gently and elegantly done, it would it would feel like parody. Right. But it's it's just like quite a gentle, well-observed film about this relationship at the heart of it and different types of male female dependency in different relationships okay and i was just yeah i was quite charmed there's a scene where bill murray gets pulled oh, this is a minor spoiler gets pulled over by cops but but actually he knows all the cops and he knows all the doormen and he can charm himself out of everything <laughs> and it's one of those where it's like oh you know wealthy middle-aged white guy gets away everything without any consequences <laughs> But it's Bill Murray and it's Rashida Jones and she's putting up with him and it's very charming. So you just kind of let it go. This is a Sofia Coppola film. Now, everything I said about Aaron Sorkin times that by 10 for Sofia Coppola. Oh my God, I do not like her films. I did like The Virgin Suicides when I saw it. I only saw it once. I remember it being a really, really good debut and thought she was going to be a really good filmmaker. Hated Lost in Translation. Hated that film and I continue to hate it. Two people go to Japan, go to Tokyo, in my humble opinion, the best city on earth, stay in the best hotels and just mope around miserable. And I spent the whole film going, go outside, just go outside. You're in fucking Tokyo. Uh, I just got so angry with that film. I just hate it. I think it's gossamer and there's nothing to it. How come they get to go to Tokyo and not appreciate it? And I get to not go to Tokyo twice. That's right. Yes, the universe has conspired twice to stop you going to Tokyo. 
first time, it, first time it inflicted God. bodily violence on you. The second time there was a global fucking pandemic. I know, it's weird, actually. I'm genuinely worried to make plans to try and go again, because I think the entire forest is basically going to drop into the sea. Well, I'm actually thinking that you should go, because the next time has to be Godzilla, right? It went from a hilarious gym injury for me that required surgery, then we had to cancel, to the pandemic, which is a huge jump. I mean, even though, you know, the surgery wasn't very nice, but it, it is a huge jump to go from that to it's, a it's, global it's, pandemic. Some escalation. I think, so next time, it's, it's basically, it's either going to be Godzilla or Deep Impact. It's going to be Kaiju. I think it's going to be everything, basically. It's going to be Godzilla. You're going to get Mothra. To be honest, I wouldn't mind going there if that was happening. <laughs> but flights might be quite difficult. Yeah, so Lost in Translation. If anyone likes Lost in Translation, they are basically projecting themselves onto the film rather than receiving anything from the film because the film is utterly empty. And then there was that Marie Antoinette. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was shit. Then there was that one, The Bling Ring, which I gave up on that one. And yeah, so I hate Sophia Coppola's films, but I've heard some quite good things about this. And actually what you've said has made me think, oh, I might give it a go. Then it sounds like an easy Sunday afternoon watch. I liked her re-adaptation of, well, her adaptation of Beguiled. Oh, actually, I haven't seen that one. Didn't that come in for some controversy in that she ignored slavery or something like that? I haven't seen the film, so that could be just a unwarranted criticism. But That's a bit of a simplification, I thought. I think I touched on that in my review. But yeah, I, on the whole, quite liked it. Yes, I do need to see that one because I think, yeah, The Virgin Suicides was in some ways quite reminiscent of that dreamy but weird kind of atmosphere that the original Beguiled had, the Clint Eastwood film from 72, which everyone should see because it's great. Yes, I do need to watch that one, I suppose. Okay, fine. And this one, because this one sounds like quite a nice, easy Sunday afternoon watch. Yes. (laughs) So because of you, I'm going to watch an Aaron Sorkin film and a Sofia Coppola film. The power you have over me. Good, good. (laughs) The plan is complete. Well, on the previous episode, we said that the next episode would be about a classic movie, but with Borat, we thought, and Borat 2 could still be a classic movie, but we thought with Borat actually probably is worth doing something about this because it's an important film for the moment. So, uh, so yeah, so next episode, I believe we will be doing that classic film that we were talking about on the last episode. But before we do plugs, anything else? No, I think that's it from me. Okay, so... As I went first on the plugs last time, would you like to go this time? Uh, yes. Well, I've actually been doing a fair bit of writing recently, well, reviewing for uh, for the first time in a while. If you would like to read some of it based on what you've heard here, you can find <laughs> it at uh, www.ofallthefilmsites.com or follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace. And on that note, actually, Sky Cinema yesterday, so we're recording on Monday the 26th, so on Sunday the 25th, they premiered The Lighthouse which is, I think, a very good film. And your review is very good of that as well. It's currently on the homepage of my site. But yes, everyone should go to your site to read that so you get the click. It's a good review. Oh, thank you. If you want to follow me on Twitter, then go to at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. If you want to follow the podcast, go to at Movie Robcast. If you want to read my scribblings, then go to electric-shadows.com. And I think that might be it for... I've got an Instagram, which is robdan75. But to be honest, I didn't put that much on there. I'm going to have to start doing that. Um, And we should get an Instagram for the podcast as well. What about your OnlyFans? OnlyFans, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you want to see me with a feather boa, then go to... 
I don't know, OnlyFans slash Rob? Is that how it works? I don't know how they work. <laughs> but he's spoke quite a lot about it, Rob. <laughs> Come on, tell us your OnlyFans handle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a good joke off the top of my head. So that's... Isn't that also something that's been hijacked recently by celebrities? I, I saw there was a thing on Twitter trending about how a lot of, um, how can I put it, adult movie stars were complaining that celebs were kind of jumping onto OnlyFans or something. And it's like, so what is OnlyFans then? I thought it was just a porn service, but um, I don't know. Anyway. We're both old. (laughs) The thing is that I do Twitter and Facebook, okay? That's as much as I'm comfortable with. (laughs) The rest is just this, I don't know. Is OnlyFans the dark web? Don't know. Could be. It's not. (laughs) Anyway. Rob Daniel asking the important questions. Yeah, that's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So on that note, on that bum note, I think it's time to say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening, and we will speak to you again very very soon. Borat subsequent movie film. You fist me. <laughs> right. uh, now I fist you. All right, there you what go. do you prefer? You fist me or I fist you? Same time. Fist each other. Yeah. There, right? there you go. So we're recording. Cool, let's pick it up. Yeah, do you want to say something just to make sure that you're always being picked up on Zencaster too? Is nice. (laughs) 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 How can we start so low and it yeah, it all be downhill from here?